Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Malachi, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Here's the background of the book, really quickly. The people of God have been in captivity for 70 years, in Babylonian captivity, because they fail to keep the sabbatic year. They fail to allow the land to rest for seven years. And for 490 years, Israel failed to keep this Sabbath year. On the seventh year, they were supposed to let the land rest, and they failed to keep this Sabbath year for 490 years, which, if you do the math, they owed God 70 years. And so God said, it's time to collect. And so he sent them into Babylonian captivity for exactly seven years in repayment for them not allowing the land to rest. So here we are now in Malachi. The people have returned now after the 70 years of captivity. They've returned to their homeland. The temple is reconstructed. The walls of the city are up. And the people are fat and happy and comfortable and complacent and apathetic and listless and lethargic. And so God sends Malachi. He comes on the scene with a word from God And as a matter of fact, we've been talking about these seven points of contention from God as it relates to his people. Now, if you've been with us, you already have this outline, but I should give it to you again. The first point of contention is the people were denying God's love. We talked about that in chapter one, two through five. And then secondly, the people were defiling God's table. In chapter 1, verse 6 through 14, the people also were devaluing God's word. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And then last week, boy, was that an interesting study. The people were deserting and divorcing their wives in chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. And then tonight now, we're going to continue with these contentions from God. And tonight we'll talk about the people are distorting God's word in chapter 2, verse 17. We didn't get to that last week, remember? Through chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, as well as the people were depriving God's house in chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. The next time we gather together in the book of Malachi, we'll talk about the people were degrading God's work. We will not get to that tonight, but it is in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Be that as it may, with that said, let's jump right in. Malachi chapter 3, pick up in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. Behold, in verse 1. 
I send my messenger, underline that, my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, underline that, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of who, saints? Levi. And purge them as what? Silver and gold or gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now stop right there. Give me your attention. Chapter 3 begins to answer. Actually, watch this. Chapter 2, verse 17. So we got to go back now to chapter 2, verse 17. And look at verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice. Chapter 3 actually begins to answer the question in chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. They said, in what way have we wearied him? They wearied God by questioning God's justice. They said, where is the God of justice? Now, of course, we understand, give me your attention, God doesn't get weary in a physical sense, but we certainly can weary God in some of the things that we do and some of the things that we say. I mean, we've all heard comments, and I hear them pretty often, of things and sayings that I am confident weary God. Things like, man is basically good. Have you ever heard that? I'm sure that that must drive God crazy. Because if man were basically good, God wouldn't have had to send his son Jesus. Say amen, saints. Or things like we've heard people say, you know, all roads lead to God. We've heard that. You know, God loves everyone. We've heard that. The Lord helps those who help themselves. We've heard that. No, God helps those who help others. We've heard this. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Did y'all know that it's not in the Bible? Please, please shake your head. You didn't know that. All right. Some of y'all didn't know. Cleanliness is next to godliness is not in the Bible. But these are all expressions that sound really nice, but they're actually all lies. I mean, man is not basically good. All roads don't lead to God. Yes, God is love. God is patient. But God is not tolerant. God is not tolerant. The world says we ought to be tolerant. God is not tolerant of sin. The Bible says that God will judge sinners. So the question is asked in our text, where is the God of justice? So look, Malachi now answers their questions. Where is the God of justice? And he begins to speak about two messengers. Notice in verse 1 in your Bible, the first comes to prepare the way. The second is God himself who comes with the message and the mission. 
The first messenger is none other than, and you can write this in your margin, John the Baptist. Don't you know? Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way. And there's no guesswork there. This prophecy is quoted in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you like the references, I'll give them to you later. But it's quoted in all four of the Gospels. You see, John the Baptist was given the privilege of introducing Jesus to Israel and prepared the way for Jesus' first coming. The first time Jesus came, the Bible's very clear. He came to save. He came to bring grace, not government. He came as the Savior, not the sovereign, the first time he came. The second messenger, I had you underline it in our text, the messenger of the covenant, is not talking about John the Baptist. It's talking about Jesus Christ in his second coming. When Jesus comes back, he won't be coming in grace. Do you know in the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will not be coming in grace. He won't be coming as a redeemer. He will come as a judge and he will establish his kingdom. And when he comes... He's going to put down all rebellion on the earth. That's why if a person will not have him as savior now, then they will have him as judge later. You understand? So God answers to the people of Israel. Where is the God of justice? God says, I will send him first as a savior, herald by John, and then he's going to come again as the messenger of the covenant to execute justice and judgment. And notice Who can endure, in verse 2, the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. You see that? The second coming of Jesus, or the second messenger, will be awesome and terrible, but with a purpose. The second coming will be with a purpose. Now, a refiner, listen, and a launderer, have something in common. They both work to clean, not to destroy. But fire does two things. It burns up that which is flammable, and it purifies that which is precious. Now, we've all heard the story, uh, the telling of a refiner purifying gold and how he continues to take his ore and stir the gold melted smelted I guess they call it smelted gold and he turns his ore and he turns it and all the impurities from the gold begin to rise to the surface and what does he do he takes a skimmer and he skims off the impurities and gets rid of the impurities and that is what purifies gold That's what purifies gold. You know, one theologian wrote this. This is a beautiful picture of how God refines us who are far more precious to him than any gold or silver. A master smith, he puts us in the furnace of trial, but ever keeps his hand on us to remove us before the fire harms us. And then he blows on us by the Holy Spirit and drives away the junk that rises to the surface the whole time. His aim is to produce his image in us. You see, that's what God's doing with the trials in your life. Rodney, I'm going through a bunch of stuff. Man, the fire's hot. Oh, it's terrible. It's, my life is a mess. Listen, God is only refining you. 
and you've been praying, God, I want to be a godly man. God, I want to be a godly woman. Well, God uses the fiery trials of this world to purify you, to answer the prayer that you've been praying. That's why you got to be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Oh, God, I want to be a godly woman, but a godly man. I want to be a godly woman, but a godly man. But did you realize that in the process of becoming a godly man or a godly woman, then there's going to be some fire. There's going to be some trial. And God's going to keep on refining you and keep on refining you and keep on skimming off the impurities and keep on skimming off the sin and keep on getting rid of these things and those things in your life. And he wants to continue to look in you until he sees his image in you. Thank you, sister. Amen. That's what God does. I'm trying to move on. Another theologian wrote this, and I like this. He said, what a comfort it is that he surrenders this work to no other hands than his own. He may give his angels charge concerning us when we are in danger, but he keeps our purification beneath his special superintendence. Don't you love that? In other words, he gives the angels charge over you in many, many areas to come and bless your life, to be involved in your life. But in this area of fiery trials, God keeps his hand on that. That's not given to an angel. God keeps his hand. on. Somebody once said that he keeps one hand on the thermostat and one hand on you. I like that. Forms a cross. I like that. You see? So notice he'll he'll be like a refiner, but also he will be like a fuller soap. A launderer was hired by people to make clothes clean and white. God tells the priest that though they were corrupt, the day will come when he will purify them and restore them to right relationship with him in verse 3. Now look at verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, notice, will be pleasant to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they did not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For verse 6, I am the Lord, and what saints? I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God says, I don't change. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. I have written in my Bible, O Rodney. You can put your name there. Don't put my name there. (laughs) Put your name there. Therefore, I am not consumed. Why? Because God doesn't change. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now, listen, give me your attention. When the people were in Babylonian captivity, get this. They learned the magic arts and they got into witchcraft and drug use. God delivered them, and it is amazing to me that the people were practicing sorcery after they had received a 70-year spanking. Can you imagine getting whooped for 70 years? 
Now, I remember when my mama used to whoop me, and it felt like 70 years. It wasn't that long, I know, but it felt like that. But, but the point of a spanking is that you learn something from it so that you don't go and do the same things that you had already been doing. That's the point of it. The people come out of a 70-year spanking in Babylonian captivity. They get back into their homeland where there's blessings, where the temple's rebuilt, where they have the opportunity to worship, where they have the opportunity to be God's people again. And what do they do? They get back in the sorcery. They get back in the witchcraft. They get back into idolatry. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about sorcery, and it's the Greek word pharmakia. If you've been around here, you know that. It's the Greek word pharmakia. We have the word what? Pharmacy, pharmacology. It speaks of drug use or the selling of drugs. The Bible says we as Christians ought not to have anything to do with sorcery. Might I say, Christian, never, you never need to have anything to do with witchcraft and all this weird stuff. Ouija boards, psychic hotlines, voodoo, weird stuff. Don't go near it. Have nothing to do with it. Somebody say amen, please. Don't, you don't need to be bothered with that. Oh, it's just a game. And no, you know, look, I got to move on. You know what I'm saying. These things have spiritual connotations. These things have spiritual ramifications, Christian. You don't want anything to do with that. These people got back in the land and they got back into sorcery and adultery. We just read it in verse five. You see that? And adultery and perjury and extortion as people would take advantage of widows and orphans and people who take advantage of the less fortunate in the world. And the reason they can live this way is because they have no fear of God. You see that in verse five? Because they do not fear me. For I am the Lord. I love verse six. Underline and highlight it. I love verse six. I am the Lord. I do not change. I love that. Two things will never change, saints. God will never change because the Bible says he is the same yesterday. What? Today and forever. And God's word will never change. Those two things will never change. God and his word. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass. The immutability Here's your word for the day. The immutability, meaning it does not change, of the word of God. It doesn't change. In other words, what God has spoken cannot be broken. Amen, saints? What God has spoken cannot be broken. Now, that works two ways. Listen, because what God has spoken against sin and compromise won't be broken. I mean, why do some people think, you know, well, you know, concerning my situation, I mean, you know, I'm special. And, and, and God understands that, you know, I'm doing this thing that's sinful, and I, but, but I'm special. And God understands, you know, where I am and what I do, and God knows my heart, and I'm basically good, and, and you know, all of this stuff. Listen, what God has spoken cannot be broken. If God says something is sin, then it's sin. And you can't break it, and you're not that special, I'm just trying to build you up, folks. You're not that special. What God has spoken cannot be broken. But listen, that also works like this. And I think this is a great thing. What God has spoken 
about our salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, what God has spoken cannot be broken. That's good news. Thank God for that. You know, God, God, God's not going to change his mind. God says we're justified. God's not going to change his mind and say, you know what? Psych, you're not justified. <laughs> nah, 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 psych. It was just a joke. You know, it's like, you remember, you used to say psych. You always say psych, you know, psych your mind, you know. God doesn't go, psych your mind, you know. You're not justified. I changed my mind. Or the rapture of the church. You know what? Psych. I think I'll leave y'all here for the tribulation. God doesn't do that. What God has spoken, his promises are yes and amen. What God has spoken cannot be broken. So that's a good thing as well. God's word does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word won't change. God says, I change not, and that's why Jacob is not consumed. Now, look at verse 8. Can I tell you before we get to these next verses, I have been waiting for months (laughs) to get to verse 8. Now look at it, all right? Woo, I'm so excited I can't even speak. I mean, I've been waiting for months. Look at verse 8. We pick up our study in verse 8. Saints, if you're there, say amen. Will a man rob God? Yet, you know what? Stop right there. Give me your attention. (laughs) You have heard this verse so many times. You have heard this, these verses so many times, you probably don't even need to read them. But just for the sake of clarification, which I hope to bring tonight, we'll read it. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In what saints? Tithes and offerings. You are, y'all probably like, I wish I hadn't come to church tonight. (laughs) It ain't going to be pretty. I told you this book is brutal, didn't I? And the brutality continues. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. In verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says who, saints? The Lord of hosts. Now, I got to tell you, I'm telling my wife tonight as we were getting ready. I read this uh, chapter so many times over the last several weeks. And uh, today, I'm telling Elvira, I'm reading this chapter. And honestly, um, after a, a serious, long, detailed study of this chapter and of these verses particularly, um, I have to say that sadness um, floods my heart. Um, and, and I'm sad because I know that I personally have 
had so much wrong teaching as a result, as it relates to the Bible as a whole. I mean, honestly, when I came into a Bible teaching church, I told you guys I had to learn. I had to unlearn a lot of stuff and then learn what the Bible said. Can I get a witness? Because I, I, I thought I knew stuff. Before I came into Bible teaching, I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. I don't know anything. And in this chapter, in these verses, I have received so much wrong teaching. And quite honestly, I'm confident that many, many, many have. And so, and, and, and I read this and, and I think, you know, it's with verses like this, uh, particularly this verse, these verses, that, that people have been beaten and bludgeoned and coerced and forced into giving their money to the church and giving their money to ministries as a result of people taking God's word and twisting it to fit their own personal gain and their own personal needs. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.